Well, let me uh, do our scripture reading for us now this morning, which is from Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors of the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird, all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, before the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanities of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Father in heaven, we humbly submit ourselves to you asking from the bottom of our hearts that the seed of your word now sown among us may take such deep root in us that neither the burning heat of persecution cause it to wither nor the thorn of this life choke it out, but that a seed sown in good ground may bring forth 30, 60, even a hundredfold as your heavenly wisdom has appointed. Amen. Well, as we look at this passage in the end of Ecclesiastes, um, it reminds us about aging. And so as we think about that, it reminds us of, of birthdays, right? And so we've got extra uh, kids with us in the service today. And so kids, I just, I wonder uh, how many of you love your birthday? Show of hands if you are here and you love your birthday. Now, I've got, in the first service, I had a bunch of adults actually raise their hands too. And I was like, actually, I asked the kids, guys. Uh, but right What's, if, if you're anything like my kids, and I see my kids back there raising their hands, you love your birthday, right? I mean, what's not to love? You got party and cake and presents. It's amazing. But let me just tell you this, kids. Something happens to adults when they get older, and they start having mixed feelings about their birthday. So it happens at different ages, but it's usually around 29. People start not liking their birthday as much anymore because instead of just being a celebration that you are alive, it also becomes a reminder that someday you won't be. And as we're going to see this morning in this passage, that can be a really good thing. But we need to acknowledge that aging is hard. There's something deep within us that feels that aging and dying isn't natural. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, in fact, it says eternity has been placed in our hearts. As the English fiction writer Terry Pratchett put it, inside every old person is a young person wondering what happened. <laughs> That's right, because isn't that true? That as we get older, we don't necessarily feel older. And I get that because actually just about 10 days ago, I, I turned 40, so um, it's a milestone birthday, right? And, and at one level, that doesn't seem possible to me that I'm 40, and not because I'm depressed about it at all, but because it just 
it's one of those milestone birthdays where you're supposed to feel old, and I just don't feel old. I, I guess the one situation where I am starting to feel old is as a pastor, I do, you know, I get to go to visit people in the hospital, and regularly now, you know, the doctor, the surgeon will come in to give an update to the family, and that person is younger than me, uh, right? So when you have, like, the, the surgeon or the doctor who's younger than you, you're just like, oh, man, I must be getting, I must be getting older now. Um, so I guess I am old, sort of. Um, but it's been interesting to gauge different people's reactions when I was, you know, saying, oh, my 40th birthday is coming up. People who are significantly younger than me, people in their teens and their 20s, they look at me and I say, I'm about to turn 40. And they kind of say, that, that seems right. You look, look, you know, they see the white and the beard and the bald head. And it's like, yeah, 40, that seems right for you. Uh, people who have just turned 40 are kind of like, they're kind of more mocking, like, hey, you finally made it. You know, you're, you're in this club. And then people who are like 50 plus, they're like, oh, 40, that's so young. Wait till you get to be my, my age. That's, that's when you get to be old. And, we, you know, we don't like to think about this, but let alone talk about it. But the fleetingness of youth, kind of the, the insane and ultimately kind of fruitless obsession with looking as young as we can for as long as we can. And this is not new to our culture. Maybe we've perfected it in, in, in modern Western culture, but certainly across time that I'm trying to hide our age avoiding the fact that time marches on. It marches across our bodies and our faces, whether we want it to, whether we, we hope it will or not. It just happens to us. But a refusal to reckon with what is already true or what will soon be true of us if we're younger makes us unwise. And, and that's really the point of the teacher, Kohelet, in this passage today. The one thing he wants to say with us as he closes his speeches in the book. This is the last thing that the, the teacher will say. And then next week we'll get kind of the author's summary of the book. Pastor Taylor will lead us through that next Sunday. But here's the last thing that the teacher says. It's almost as if he's an old man, finishes his memoir, he looks back. As he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember your creator. That's what he says in chapter 12, verse 1. And I think he wants us to remember because we have the tendency to forget. In youth, we tend to forget our creator because of distraction. I think in age, we tend to forget our creator, maybe just because we're tending to forget lots of things, but we forget our creator because of despair. And regardless, the teacher wants to say to us, remember your creator in the days of your youth and also when you're older, because it's the only way to live a truly good life. So if you only write down one thing this morning, I hope it's this, that young or old, remembering your creator is the only way to a good life. Young or old, remembering your creator is the only way to a good life. And by good, I don't just mean in the sense of, of a moral life, though if you look at philosophers and religions across the spectrum, across time, they, they recognize that that kind of virtue component is part of a, of a good life. But I don't just mean a narrow sort of virtuous life, as important as that is, but I mean a good life in the sense of the good life, a life full of joy and contentment and courage and rest and satisfaction. To live that kind of a life of contentment, you have to remember your creator. You have to. And so here, the author, or rather the teacher, whose words the author is recording for us in the book of Ecclesiastes, gives us sort of three reasons why we need to remember our creator, whether we're older or younger. 
three reasons. The first one is this. We, we have to remember our creator because your body will let you down. This body will let you down. And this part of the book uh, of Ecclesiastes is, is very poetic. It uses a lot of metaphor. The whole book is that way, but this last part in chapter 12 is especially that way. It uses a lot of imagery that isn't necessarily easy to understand. And a lot of different scholars will debate on exactly how do we interpret these poetic images. But there's broad agreement that what is being described is the aging of a person. And so Kohelet describes the decay of our bodies with age. That's what's happening in these verses. So look at, back at verse one. It says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you say, I have no pleasure in them. And the days when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. A lot of interpreters think that that's like your arms and legs, poetic description. When the grinders cease, that's your teeth, are few, and look through the windows that the eyes are dimmed, and the doors in the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low, when one rises at the sound of a bird. All the daughters of song are brought low. They are also afraid of what is high and terrors in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails. Because man, because humanity, because humans are going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. And again, these are, are poetic, metaphorical images describing a person whose body is slowly declining with age. Even in youth, remember your creator in your mortality. Because one day the bones will start to tremble. The eyes will grow dim. The ears won't hear so well. And, and to make the point even stronger, Kohelet reiterates, he says in his own way, what we talked about in the second sermon in this, because back in chapter two of Ecclesiastes, uh, this is where the, the, the sort of the younger version of the teacher is exploring all the ways to try to find meaning and satisfaction. In chapter two, he looked at all, all the pleasures that he could have in life all the pleasures and how he tried to fill his life with beauty and satisfaction and his eyes, his ears, his stomach, his bed, all manner of worldly pleasure in his youth. But now he looks back and his eyes can't see the beautiful garden like they used to. His ears can't hear the birds and the wind and the trees. In fact, his hearing is more likely to startle him now than to calm him. And then later he talks about desire failing in verse five. Literally, and you might even see a note in your, like the footnote of your, of your Bible saying, using this language, of, it's literally the caperberry fails. That's what the Hebrew says there. And that was a known aphrodisiac that, that it's not working anymore. And yes, this is about sexual pleasure, but it's also about all forms of pleasure. That they just can't do what they used to. The body is wearing down. This is what happens when our bodies fail. And, and not just physically or in our ability to experience pleasure, but also cognitively as well. And I've actually mentioned this book several times in the series because it, it maps on to so many of the Ecclesiastes themes so well. But the book by Arthur Brooks called From Strength to Strength. And his opening uh, contention in that book is actually also the title of an article he wrote in The Atlantic back in 2019 called Your Professional Decline is Coming Much Sooner Than You Think and here's how to make the most of it. And in that article, he describes two kinds of intelligences that we as humans have. The first is fluid intelligence, and the other is crystallized intelligence. And fluid intelligence is this ability to reason, analyze, solve novel problems. It's kind of this raw intellectual horsepower. 
And innovators typically have an abundance of this fluid intelligence. And here's the thing that Brooks points out, as they've done work and study on these two types of intelligence, this fluid intelligence is highest when you're young in adulthood. And get this, it starts to decline in your 30s and 40s. So one of the examples that he gives is most PhD dissertations in the, the kind of the field of theoretical physics. This takes a lot of raw intellectual horsepower, all written by people who are under their 30s. It, because once you get past your late 30s and 40s, you just do not have the kind of intellectual horsepower to produce that kind of work at a high level. This is why tech entrepreneurs, for instance, do so well early, but why older people have a much harder time innovating because it depends on that fluid intelligence. Crystallized intelligence, on the other hand, is the ability to use knowledge gained in the past so you think about it as possessing this like large library that you know how to use and to make connections within. It's the essence of wisdom. And because crystallized intelligence relies on accumulating a stock of knowledge, it tends to increase through one's 40s and does not diminish until very late in life. So here's the example that Brooks gives. If you think in, in academic disciplines, theoretical physicists, they have to do that, that groundbreaking work early. But you think about historians who have to do the work of compiling a lot of information and making connections. They sometimes do their best work in their 60s, 70s, even in 80s, after they've had years and years of learning and reflection and have this body of knowledge and understanding within to make those acknowledgements and those connections. And so for me, right, as a, a, just a recently turned 40-year-old pastor, it means learning Greek and Hebrew is gonna be harder now for me than it ever has been, than when I was in my 20s, but that theoretically I ought to be getting better and better at making the kinds of connections to life and applying the text of scripture based on that crystallized intelligence. And we understand that like decline happens in the physical realm. Like everyone knows, all professional athletes know that they have a window in which they're gonna do this, right? No one per expects anyone to be playing in the NBA in their 60s. No one expects to see 60 year olds winning gold medals and figure skating in the Olympics. Because we know that that decline happens. And Brooks's whole point is that there is a de kind of decline in this fluid intelligence that we haven't understood or acknowledged that leads to deep frustration and despair and bitterness. But to lead a wise life means recognizing that there is another kind of intelligence that grows over time, but making the jump when you begin to recognize, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not gonna have this fluid level of intellectual horsepower forever. But there's another kind of, of intelligence that I can also bring to the table. And so if you're younger here this morning, we need to hear Kohelet's message that resonates what social scientists are telling us, that there is a decline coming for all of us. If you're younger, enjoy and make the most of the strength and health of your body and mind, using it to serve and care for others and to innovate and come up with incredible solutions and all of that. And know and be prepared that the decline will come and learn from those who have managed that jump from fluid intelligence to crystal intelligence well. Look for people who have done that, learn from them. Uh, if you're older, let yourself be freed from the striving to do things cognitively or physically that were easy at 30 but are much harder at 60. Instead of being bitter or frustrated, look at ways to capitalize on the wisdom, that crystallized intelligence that no 20-year-old can possibly have because it requires the accumulation of years of learning. And, and Kate mentioned this early, earlier, Charlotte did as well, one of the beauties of the local church is that it is a uniquely intergenerational community. 
in ways that almost no other kind of group of people is in our culture today. We have younger folks, high levels of crystallized intelligence with older folks, and fluid intelligence with younger folks, all gathered together on the same mission. It's the beauty of the body to enrich and encourage. Often generations have become pitted against one another, but the church ought to be a place where the, the gifts and the talents of every age group are celebrated and connected together for the sake of the mission. So that's the first reason to remember our Creator is that our bodies, our minds will let us down. But second, we need to remember our Creator because life only gets harder. And you see this here in verse two. We skipped it earlier. It says this, remember, this is verse one, your Creator in the days of your youth. And then verse two, before the sun and light and moon and stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Again, that's the poetic image. And I think the best we can tell is that it is, it's describing the journey of life, the describing the process of aging, like the gathering of darkness. It's like clouds slowly blocking the sun in the day or covering the moon and the stars at night. And one level, this is hard to talk about. Um, and, you know, even though I'm, you know, I did turn 40, I'm kind of maybe halfway through this journey of life, there's still a lot of this that I haven't experienced personally. But as a pastor, one of the joys of this vocation is getting to walk with people who are both older and younger and to walk alongside and, and listen to and experience life with those who are older, who have walked through these later ages and generations. And one of the things I see in people who are older than me, who are in later stages of life, is that there's a, there can be incredible joy in those seasons, right? Like watching folks become grandparents, have their kids get married and celebrating the, the newness of, of life as grandparents or um, even just the possibilities of kinds of friendships that can emerge when once kids have, have grown and gone off to school or gone out of the house and started working and all that, that there's more capacity for, for friendships and travel and adventure that maybe weren't there in the busier years of, of earlier life. But I also have sat with those folks and, and know that there is an increasing difficulty that come in life the sorrows and sadness that comes as well. And I'll never forget being at a retreat as once a year our, our campus pastors and our senior pastors gather for a retreat to just plan and pray for the coming years. And I remember as a young campus pastor being a part of one of those gatherings and we had a, a toddler in an infinite home in that moment. And so that's just another way of saying I was really exhausted all the time. And I remember, like, kind of giving this update. We'd always start these times of just kind of life updates and just saying, like, yeah, like, it's good. Like, kids are great, but, like, you know, Rachel and I were just like, tired. It's a lot. And I didn't say this out loud, but I remember just thinking, like, oh, if I can finally, like, get past the stage of having little kids, then, like, life will be so much easier again. And then a couple of our senior pastors who at that time were in their late 50s, early 60s started sharing. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks because they started sharing what was their concerns were, the, the struggles that their older adult, the, you know, their adult children were having now. Or also paired with that, right, we know this kind of sandwich generation idea of, of caring for their parents who were declining in age and the pain and the sorrow of that. And I just remember sitting there in that circle and it was almost like God like turned on a light switch for me. He's like, Bill, it does not get easier. Like you're waiting for that moment when like this certain season will pass and then finally life will be easy. You're going to be waiting forever. It doesn't mean that there isn't great joy 
on that journey. It just means that life does not get easier as we go on. It, it actually gets more difficult, not less. Like clouds full, slowly filling up the sky so that life's difficulties increase over time. So again, if you're sitting here this morning and you're younger, remembering our creator and our own mortality is preparing for the faith tests that are coming, the challenges that will increase later on. The more we can reckon with and take seriously the brevity of our lives, the impermanence of our health, of our loved ones, of our own bodies, the wiser we will become, not only in old age, but now, even in the days of our youth. If you're here this morning and you're older and you feel life getting harder, just know there's not something wrong with you. That that's actually, that's normal and you're not alone in that. That when you live life outside the garden, as we do, this life under the sun that Kohelet is describing, that this is part of what that existence is like. Life continues to get more difficult, not less. So remember your creator and don't let yourself succumb to despair in that. Why? Because I know I haven't given you a whole lot of hope yet in this message. And, and, and part of that is because Kohelet hasn't given us a whole lot of hope in this, in this sermon. But thankfully, Ecclesiastes isn't the only book in our Bibles, right? And again, what Kohelet, what the teacher is doing is trying to knock down the things that we tend to put our hope and our trust and our confidence in so that we will trust in something better. And one of those things is youth. We tend to say, oh, we idealize youth. And, and so he's knocking that down and saying, look, decline is coming for us all. We need to know that truth. But on this side of Jesus' death and resurrection, when we see the whole testimony of God's revelation to us, we can also do one more thing here. We can hope in our Redeemer, because every passing day in Christ, we are becoming closer to the day of renewal. So yes, even as we age, renewal only gets closer. This is why we remember our creator, because if we're in Christ, renewal only gets closer. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He's writing to this church, and he says this in the fourth chapter. He says, so we don't lose heart. He says, we don't give up. We don't fail. We don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, it's our physical bodies. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen, which will be seen one day, are eternal. What Paul says here is amazing because he's pointing out that the pain of aging, this outer self that's wasting away, he's very clear about that, the specter of death that we all work so hard to avoid is actually preparing us for a weight of glory, a beauty so immense that it's beyond all comparison to what we have experience with now. And C.S. Lewis, in one of his books that is just one of my absolute all-time favorites, a book called The Great Divorce, in which the, the main character in that story is journeying from hell to heaven. And Lewis, I think he had this verse in mind when he wrote chapter 12, and there the main character of the story, he encounters the saint in heaven who in her earthly life was just this little old lady who no one really knew anything about. She just lived sort of this this like average little life in a, in a corner of, uh, of the city. 
that was nothing special. At least that's how people viewed her in life. And the main character's guide in this country explains to him who this woman was. Just listen as I read a little bit of the story to you. So the main character speaks. He says, I cannot now remember whether she was naked or clothed. If she were naked, then it must have been the almost visible preamba of her courtesy and joy, which produced in my memory the illusion of a great and shining train that followed her across the happy grasses. If she were clothed, then the illusion of her nakedness doubtless due to the clarity of which her innermost spirit shone through her clothes. But I have forgotten. And only partly do I remember the unbearable beauty of her face. Is it? Is it? I whispered to my guide. Not at all, said he. It is someone you have never heard of. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith, and she lived in Golders Green. She seems to be, well, a person of particular importance. Yes, she was one of the great ones, is one of the great ones. You have heard that fame in this country and fame on earth are two quite different things. And and who are these young men and women on each her side? They are her sons and daughters. She must have had a very large family, sir. Every young man or boy that she met became her son, even if it was only the boy who brought the meat to her back door. Every girl that she met was her daughter. Every creature that came near her had its place in her love. In her, they became themselves. And now the abundance of life she has in Christ from the Father flows over into them. I looked at my teacher in amazement. Yes, he said. It is like when you throw a stone into a pool and the concentric waves spread out further and further. Who knows where it will end? Redeemed humanity is still young and it hardly has come to its full strength, but already there is joy enough in the little finger of a great saint such as yonder lady to awaken all the dead things of the universe into life. That's what we await. And Kohelet was right. We are wasting away, but not into nothing. We are wasting away like the shell of a seed whose beauty and wisdom and glory will make all sad things we have said and seen and prayed about even today that will make all those sad things melt away. And we can't see it yet, but sitting even in this room, there are older saints who, if we could see them as they will be, will not be compared with the most beautiful youthfulness we work so hard to attain in this life. We must remember our creator. We must take seriously our frailty, our impermanence, our death, which pretends to, tries to convince us that our life has no meaning. But we can say back to death. In the words of the hymn, my worth is not in what I own. As summer flowers, we fade and die. Fame and youth and beauty hurry by. But life eternal calls to us at the cross. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would give us the gift by your Holy Spirit of grace, of remembering our creator. Whether we are older or younger, would we live our lives in remembrance of you in all things? Would you encourage us that even though our outer selves are wasting away, that if we have been united to Jesus by faith, our destiny is one of incredible glory of which we cannot even begin to imagine now. We pray this in his name.
by the power of the Holy Spirit who will one day make it true of us. Amen.